The advice I would give to somebody coming up behind me about brand building and marketing is that you think your product right now is the most important thing, and it's not. Products come and go, but brands can last literally forever. From Caribbean Ideas Synapse in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a podcast that's part of the Snapshot Podcast Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of the Caribbean entrepreneurs and innovators who are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that have the potential to not only improve the Caribbean world, but also help the Caribbean world make an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, or maybe help spark your next great idea. I'm Chike Farrell, co-founder of Caribbean Ideas, and in today's show, you learn how a fervent belief that Caribbean people can create, market, and distribute luxury products on par with anything in the world fuels Catherine Nurse of Immortal Beauty. You learn how she blends her personal brand with content and storytelling to build an ongoing customer relationship, and why she believes that brands must create consistent experiences across all touch points. You'll hear how she's adapting to the new challenges thrown up by the coronavirus pandemic, as well as timeless lessons like how she balances all the different roles that come with being an entrepreneur, and how she approaches finding the mental balance necessary to continue pursuing her dreams. So I have been running Immortal Beauty for about nine years now. We um, launched officially in Trinidad in 2011 um, and I've been doing some like prep work and stuff for about one or two years before that. So I would say I've been doing it for nine or 10 years now. Um, I started it when I was 26. I had been working in the United States in a cosmetic chemistry laboratory. Um, and what our lab would do is that we would do formulations. We would sell formulations to other companies who were interested in working with chemists to launch their own products. But we wouldn't have any part in the marketing or any of the uh, downstream services. We would just sell the formulas um, themselves and the company would then take that and then uh, create the brand and the the marketing around it. Um, and just, I wanted to be part of the whole process. I didn't like the idea that we just sold a formula and then we never had any more interest in it, even though we kind of came up with it in the lab ourselves. Um, I had been doing that for about four years before I decided to come home to Trinidad. And I went straight from university into the, the formulation lab because I knew exactly that that's what I wanted to do because I've always really loved fashion and beauty and I was getting a science degree. I have a biology degree from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Um, and so um, at first I was trying to be a doctor and I was trying to figure out how I was going to, um, when I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, I didn't want to not get the science degree. I tried to figure out how I could use this science degree in a way that was more aligned to my interests and my personal passions. And so I was reading about Estee Lauder um, and how she built her entire empire. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I decided I would go straight into the cosmetic lab. And then from the cosmetic lab, I decided I would go straight into my own business when I was pretty young. But yeah, so that's, that's really cool. Now, you know, what was interesting about that is, you know, sometimes you have folks who, um, you know, make a, a complete 180 degree turn to go into their, you know, entrepreneurial career, but you actually 
sort of started off in the space, even though, as you mentioned, you, you know, at one point you were going to do medicine, you're going to do some, some different things. Um, what was it about, you know, kind of touching all the different parts of the process that was intriguing to you? Why did, why did, why was that sort of an appealing thing? Because, you know, you make this product and you're so connected to it and you love it so much and you want other people to know that you have made it for them. You want other people, you want to see other people, um, enjoy it and, um, appreciate it and you want to know want people to know that you you are the person behind that um this experience that you have created for them so um the experience that i had before this when i was in the lab i would go into these very because we made products from the very low end to the very high end so it was a huge spectrum so i got a lot of great experience and i would go into these very fancy beauty department floors. And I would point, I would point at the product, the 515 US dollar product I made. And I'd be like, I made that. Right. I formulated that product. <laughs> and my friends would just be like, okay, okay, good. Come on, let's keep walking. Right. Um, like, <laughs> nobody's been, it's, this is not about you. <laughs> um, so, so no, I just, I just feel like there is, especially now in the beauty industry, there's so much connection between the person who comes up with the ideas and who creates the products and the customer um, because of social media, because of um, the increase in representation in products for all sorts of different um uh, different skin tones and different ethnicities in the beauty beauty industry. And I just feel like people should know where the products come from and they should know that people um, have developed them with them in mind. So you, so you ended up you know, starting the company after you moved back to Trinidad. Um, so would you say you're focused on, you know, Trinidadian market, regional market, international market, you know, where, where do you sort of see yourself fitting in? So right now I'm, I'm fo hopefully focusing on regional because the thrust of the business has always been like, you know, cosmetics for Caribbean women. So we kind of take into consideration the climate and um, how people live and the lifestyle here. Um, and so it's really right now, even though I only really have locations in Trinidad right now, a little bit in Jamaica, um, regional is really the hope, the goal. Got you. So what was it that you were seeing that you thought, you know what, I see an opportunity here. I see like an opening for, for, for a different kind of company. Um, I felt like we um, didn't have something in the kind of premium space. Um, so I've always, so when we, when I did get that range of formulation experience, I was always much more interested in the luxury, um, high-end premium luxury categories because um, low end products were always very simple and straightforward. Um, this was the budget and this was how much, this was the materials that went in, but on the higher end range, this was the budget. But then when we saw the price of the product, we realized that there was so much more that went into that product in between the lab formula and getting on the shelf. And that's the area that I got really interested in. And how you build a brand that create that 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 provides those intangible elements for the customer as well as the tangible elements that are in the jar or in the bottle. Um, so I felt like we needed something homegrown that was premium, that people could kind of um feel the same experiential qualities from. Right. Well now of course, you know, as um a co-founder of an advertising agency, you start to talk about branding and you know, <laughs> positioning. And you know, I start to get uh excited very, very quickly. So 
what are some of the things that when you when you want people to think about you know immortal beauty what are the things that you are always saying you know these are these are the things that i'm trying to land in people's brains about my product and why it's distinctive and why it's more premium so um i'm very clear on that these days the um the tagline for the company is a little local luxury the idea is that luxury can be affordable and it can be local um when we as customers look at things that are local. We expect them to look a certain way. We expect them to feel a certain way. We expect a certain low level of presentation and um, a high level of value when it comes to cost. Um, but what I want the customer to start doing is raising their expectations of what they can get from a local product. So we try to make the product as beautiful as we can. We try to make the, the product as um, luxurious as we can while keeping the price relatively affordable. So it's not lug it's not high end luxury hundreds of dollars for a lotion, but it is um that feeling in in uh, an affordable format. Right. And you mentioned Estee Lauder um as as one of the you know brands that you were looking at. Uh, when you think about great branding and great marketing, and it doesn't have to be limited just to the cosmetic space, what are the brands that you think do it well that you kind of try to pattern yourself on? Mm, okay. Brands I love is probably an easier question than who do I try to pattern myself on right sure. this second. Yeah. But um, in the beauty space, for sure, Fenty Beauty, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty is like the... Um, benchmark right now for everyone right. um, in, in terms of product and in terms of, but it's kind of hard to compare, like to compare yourself to a brand like that because they had a captive market, obviously in Rihanna's followers and in Rihanna's um, fans um, on top of also creating great products. Um, so um, that's one of my favorites, but I am that person who does look to people who are, who have way more resources than me and see how they're doing things and try to um, figure out some patterns from them. I think that brand that you're talking about is really intriguing mm -hmm. because what Fenty has been able to do in terms of how it's upended Victoria's Secret and sort of changing mm -hmm. the way that people perceive beauty and it's not just you know cookie cutter and everybody doesn't have to look this way is really it's really powerful you know uh, is that what appeals to you about what they've done or are there other things that oh, yes. um basically um basically rihanna's come into a couple of different industries now so it's as you said yes um it's the it's the lingerie space but it's also the beauty space and all the time um, it's kind of like what's going on now. All the time, everybody said, no, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And then something comes in to like disrupt and everybody's like, oh yeah, this is easy. So what Rihanna did was the first thing she did was create this foundation line that had 40 shades of foundation in it, which they always said um, was impossible. <laughs> right. And then she did it. And then all of a sudden people are coming out with 50 shades and a hundred shades and, and, you know, all of the multicultural people who were buying products, who are, who buy products more often than more often and more expensively than, um, than let's say just white people for want of a better. are like, but I thought we couldn't do this. I thought we couldn't do this, this. And then all of a sudden everybody is doing it. So it's, it's that inclusion, but also the products are really fun. And, um, Rihanna is so closely tied to the branding. It isn't this like 
pet project where other people are like, she's, she is the face. And so if you're a Rihanna lover, as I have been for my entire life, you feel like closer to her as well, because she, you know, completely um, embodies the brand. So um, there's a bunch of reasons. It's a great brand. She is a great. I love that. Um, and yeah, I am right there with you as a Rihanna lover. So yeah, so <laughs> say no more, say no more. But speaking of um, people who are, you know, 100% intertwined with their brand, I mean, you're not too far away from that yourself because, right. you know, I know mm-hmm. that you um, ended up, you know, sort of saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be that, be that front person and, and right. out there in front of the camera. So what was that transition like for you? So I didn't do it at first. Um, at first I wanted the brand to stand on its own. I didn't want it to be like, because of course, when you just start in a small country, it's things like, you know, your dad is out there, like try my daughter's lotion. It's the bomb. And like, I'm like, Oh gosh, daddy, I really just want people to not feel like pressured. I want people to discover the product on their own and like it on their own. I wanted the product to stand on its own without me having to stand up behind it and be like, Oh, this is Catherine nurse lotion. (laughs) Right. Um, and then we started the social media. So I did a lot of product shots, um, um, that were like without me in them. And then we noticed obviously from the analytics that every time I was in the pictures, the responses, the engagement, the views, everything would just like be exponentially better. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was kind of forced to kind of, I mean, even now it's still, it's still difficult for me, but I was kind of forced to kind of come out and, and be the spokesperson behind it. Um, and realize that one of the main USPs of the brand, one of the main selling propositions really is me and the fact that I have done it and I have created these things and that, um, people look to me as an expert in this area and, um, I need to capitalize on that. It's still a little uncomfortable, but I try. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because, um, you know, I'm always in, in two minds about this, right? There's, there's one part of me that believes that. Uh, and I can kind of hear it in what you're saying that I think you maybe almost believe it too, that, that, you know, on the one hand, the true mark of, you know, building a great business is that it can exist without you. But on the other hand, certain sorts of businesses, you know, it makes a hundred percent, um, sense for you to be sort of indelibly woven with the, with the brand. So if you were to think about, you know, how, how you, how you scale that. And I think in, in the beauty space, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of brands tend to be, woven in with with woven in with somebody so how do you hope to to scale if you will so that you know you could still be that front person but but also be in a position to to expand and scale more broadly well in the short to medium term it would be um to focus on those things so as i um got support staff or whatever to, 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 to handle certain tasks, to keep owning the, the spokesperson, the face tasks, um, while the business grew. Um, so right now, of course I'm cheap cook and bottle washer. So I'm, I'm in the factory, of, like supervising the, the production process. I'm in the lab creating the products. I'm also doing the fulfillment. I'm writing up the DHL slips, dropping it to DHL and DHL, they call me boss lady. <laughs> like, Hey, boss lady. <laughs> but obviously I would minimize those things that could be delegated. And I would focus more and deep on the, um, 
the personal branding elements um, tying that into the brand in the short to medium term. Long term, however, I don't know. Any number to play. Well, we're going to come back to, to, to some long term because, you know, we're recording this right in the middle of, um, you know, uh, quite the situation with, with coronavirus and, and COVID-19, which makes long range planning um, difficult to say the least. Yeah. But, but yeah. before we go forward, I want to go back. Um, you know, yeah. tell me a little bit about, you know, where you grew up in Trinidad and, and uh, you know, were there influences that you could look back on and say, you know what, that, that played a role in me, you know, jumping out into the entrepreneurial space. Tell me a little bit about that. So I um, grew up in West Trinidad in Diego Martin and um, St. James. Um, I went to Bishop Anstey High School and everybody who goes to Trin- who, who lives in Trinidad know that many of your, our schools have a very indelible mark on um, who and kind of our values and how we are uh, socialized. So, and my mother went to bishops already. So I, I, oh, not already also. So I grew up with a very strong independent mother and, uh, a father who was an entrepreneur at times himself. And, um, they were probably my biggest influences. My mother loved nice things, um, loved nice experiences. Um, and that's, is one of the most formative experiences of my life because I am always just like, how do we make this more indulgent? How do we make this nicer? How do we make people feel um, emotions from this? Um, and I think that was hugely influenced by my mother, um, particularly in the area of beauty. She had, she would travel, she would go to England and she would go to the US and she would come back with um, her stocks of beauty products, obviously, because we didn't have like Sephora's back in those days and we didn't have... Um, we didn't have uh, uh, skyboxes, so she would have to bring back her stocks of her fashion, say makeup or her her prescriptive fragrances, and she always had this stuff in her in this box. And that when everything when anything would finish, she would go straight into the box to just pull out her next her next one that she had lined up ready to go. She, uh, my mom passed away when I was fourteen, but she was still like a really huge influence on me up until then and then beyond as well. And then my father has always just been like, listen, if you work for yourself, you, you never have to answer to anybody. You never have to, he's tried to instill a, a serious sense of independence in me. Um, and somehow I developed, um, some characteristics that don't make me the best employee, right. <laughs> um, which are obviously these things that they say are great for being entrepreneurs, but don't make you just <laughs> the best employee. I'm just like, you know, why do I have to listen to the, like, okay, so these rules that you've set, like, why? Like, they don't seem to make much sense to me. I have to get up every day at what time? Like, I have to, I have to wear a uniform, like those things. I don't understand how those things contribute and why can't I just do it my way? Why can't I just figure out a better way to do things? Um, so, um, that's why I think I kind of struck out on my own so young. Yeah. Um, like literally after my first real life job, I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to do my own thing. Right. Um, have been st- and have been doing that since then. Um, so definitely my two parents, my biggest influences for sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, um, you knew I was going to come and ask about, uh, the question of not being very easily employable when you moved back to Trinidad. So, so I'm glad you said that. Cause for, you know, I think one of the things that I always like to, to raise here, I mean, even for myself before, starting um 
Caribbean Ideas. I was working at Microsoft and, you know, literally, you know, two years in, I was, you know, on the horn with my, with my buddy and eventual co-founder brother, um, you know, throwing ideas back and forth. And so I think a lot of people, um, you know, either they, they're itching to get into something entrepreneurial or they, they have a side hustle or what have you. So as you were kind of going through this journey, you know, you're like, you know what, I, I don't think I could, you know, just go do a normal job. Did you do a whole bunch of planning? Um, and sort of like thinking about it, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. Or did you kind of fall into it more? Where were you along that spectrum? My father made sure that I planned. So I, one of the main reasons that I came back home, yes, the stadium, actually, no, how it happened was I really wanted to come back home. I was just like, I was very lonely in the States. Um, it's so funny because all my friends who lived in New York at the time now have moved to New Jersey, but I was the only one in New Jersey at that time. Right. Um, and nobody came to Jersey ever. <laughs> so if I ever wanted to see anybody, I had to go to them. Um, and it was a lonely time for me. And so I was like, I just really want to come home. And he was like, well, if you come in home here, you got to figure out what you're going to do. And I remember my timeline was 17 months. So what were some of the things that were in that business plan? I think a lot of people... Um dreams <laughs> yeah oh nice okay good yeah so, so, so tell, tell me about the dreams and and i'm very curious then relative to what you hoped might happen um you know what happened kind of how you planned it and then what what was completely different than what you had planned oh that that young girl had no idea how long things took to happen and how much things cost like just right. no clue. so i think by like year three i had three different lines of different types of products for different for different categories of women and like i was selling in multiple different locations and up the islands and it was just it was probably just i should go back and look at it it was probably just completely like unrealistic right. <laughs> considering everything that has happened since then um um i remember however when it comes to like the financial part i remember starting out with a loan so it was probably actually a little bit more flexible than i am now where we don't um we don't really have any loan or lending that we are, we, we have not that, that we have access to but that we are um, using right now. Right. So with that money, I made the very important step to go to a branding company. So I went to Above Group and we developed the brand, Immortel, the logo, the logo, the, the um, package, fonts, um, things that I had never thought of, fonts, colors um, that I now realize are so important. Um, and that was probably the thing in that first business plan that was the smartest thing that we did and the foundation of what we have now, because we started out with a clear idea of this is how this brand is going to look, this is how this brand is going to feel, and this is how this brand is going to communicate to people. So I want to go back, um, Catherine, to you know what you said about the focus on your brand and positioning and fonts and logos, and you know you said something interesting. You said that people really pay attention to that. Oh, oh. How have you figured out that people really pay attention to those things that makes uh, a meaningful difference? Well, first of all, because I pay attention to those things, um, particularly in the beauty space, I don't have a lot of problems that I have to blessed that I have to address. So I gravitate towards products for other reasons. I gravitate towards products because of their texture and what the formula is like, and something seems unique and new and different. But I also gravitate towards products because of how they look 
and how exciting they feel. Um, and I feel like, particularly when I started, there were not a lot of people in the beauty space locally, regionally, looking to imbue their products with that kind of excitement and energy. Right. And I wanted to make my products feel how I feel about international products. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much like I was just like, these products are so exciting. They do, they like make me so happy. Um, I want to try and figure out how I can do that for other people as well. Gotcha. So, so tell me a little bit more about, about the business. So to tell me about the different lines you have and the different products, let me understand the, the, the full range. So right now we have our major product line is called the essentials. It's a bath and body product line. We have five different types of product ranging from like shower gel to different types of lotions, oil. Um, and we have that in eight different fragrances, multiple different sizes. Um, and then we also have our home fragrance line, which is like a very like premium, um, looking, candle and home read diffuser line right now. So we have three fragrances in that line and they have like really rich um, metallic packaging. It's really very pretty. And then the original line, which is our first line that we launched with is actually a foot rehab line. It's well, it's called foot rehab. It's a at home pedicure line made up of three products for you to like do your pedicure. At- As you've extended from, you know, where you started to a different thing, what drove each extension? Was it sort of customer demand and customer feedback or was it sort of seeing a new opportunity or was it sort of, hey, you know, this is the progression that I'm trying to go on? So, yes, the novelty drives um, the innovation and the differentiation for the beauty industry. So you always have to be producing new, new, new products um, in order to continue building your demand. You can't really sit with a line of 12 products for 12 years in a beauty company. Um, having new things and having always having something that people want to check out and want to try um, is really what brings people coming back to you. So when I started, the goal is always to look to expansion. Like, what else can I add? What else can I add? What else can I add? Um, to make sure that everybody's satisfied. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, I always like to spend some time on, you know, learnings and and things that people have had as they've gone through their experience. But, you know, entrepreneurship is is, is full of ups and it's full of downs. But I'm going to switch it up a little bit this time and I want to talk about, you know, some of the good things that have happened, right? So so let's talk a little bit about, you know, something that's gone really really well on this journey for you. What's an achievement that you're really proud of? Probably my, my biggest achievement so far is opening my store. Um, probably on that um, first business plan, I thought opening a store, a physical location was going to be something simply easy, very easy that was going to happen within a couple of years. But it took me nine years to open my first store, which is now at the Normandy Hotel in St. Anne's. Um, and I'm really, really proud of it. Got you. So it was kind of like, uh, so you, you were kind of going for something like, like what Apple was going for, where you, you had your products and you wanted to match, um, yeah. product <laughs> experience. Similar thinking, different execution. Yeah, right. Awesome. Yeah. And, and why was that, um, why was that important to you to, to bring that to life in that way? So, um, somewhere along the middle of my journey there between 2000, around 2012, I actually went back to, to school to get a master's and MBA in luxury brand management. Um, and I really learned how just basically the most 
premium, high-end brands figure out how to communicate at all sorts of different touch points. Basically, every single place that the consumer meets them, they figure out how to let the consumer um, touch the brand. Um, and so I'm very focused in every interaction people have with us to be trying to to communicate the same thing over and over again. So it can't be that you come into our pop-up shop and you feel like, you not sorry, not into our pop-up shop. You can't come and see us at like a market because here we have our local, our local product vendor markets and you feel um, that I've put less effort into it than if I, um, than if you came to my Instagram page. You can't go to the Instagram page and feel like there's less work been done here than at the store and you can't go to the store and feel like this is not what the website looks like. You know what I mean? Everything needs to be, to be, um, cohesive and every time you need to feel the same feeling. And so that's how I go about things. So I'm curious about your customers. Um, how, how far afield in the world, you know, um, have you gotten customers to purchase your products? So through the website, we have both e-commerce functionality on our website. So through the website, I think it's the furthest has really been just like different, different cities in Europe at this point in time. Um, all throughout the region, all throughout the US and Canada, but nowhere very far afield. Mm. Um, nowhere, I would say nowhere that I haven't been myself yet. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. So you, so you, so you're covering, um, you know, your own retail store, you have e-commerce. Are you also, you know, working the trade and, and you've driven distribution through, through other retailers, um, yeah. in, in the market? Yeah. So we have some small, like local small businesses as well. But then we have like Starlight Pharmacy here, which is like a very established pharmacy with three locations also carrying the products. So that helps like at a time like now where everything non-essential is closed, having a pharmacy open with the product, that means there's still somewhere that people can go and get it because that's an essential business and it stays open. Gotcha. And so as you were going through the, you know, the journey of pitching people on the trade. Cause yeah, I think one of the things that people always want to hear is, yeah, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, pitch others, pitch other businesses? How do I, how do I sell my product? So yeah, have you had any learning that you want to pass on to people about, you know, what, what worked really well, as well as what might not work to kind of pitch your, pitch your product to get other businesses to take it on and back you? So many of the times that I've gotten one of these, one of these, um, breakthroughs. They have already seen the product somewhere a couple of times. They've called me in before. Um, and so they believe in the product already because it's a small market. So, um, they might have experienced it or interacted with it before when I'm pitching kind of blind, when I have tried to make the, um, approach, sometimes I get a little disappointed. I can't lie. I get a little disenchanted because I still think retail hair locally is still very focused on the bottom line and not right. focused on experience. Um, and, so, and when I, and when I go, go into pitch, I go in pitching on experience and excitement and vibe and emotion and energy. And, um, and they're just like, uh-huh, where's your price list? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me do that. Let me do some math. Let me figure out some margin and yeah. maybe ask so, maybe kind of go from there but does that does that then sort of lead you to some insight into what kind of customer your brand is for versus what you're not because that's always something that 
I mean, like, like uh, our agency recently went through a transformation. We, we went sort of the, the less um, well-trodden path because we were a digital agency for years. And then we sort of said, well, you know what, we're going to go towards the full service agencies. We're going to offer everything. Um, mm -hmm. But kind of going through that exercise and some of the same things that you mentioned in terms of brand and so on, we had to really think about, you know, what, like, yeah, who are you for and who are you not for? Right? If, you're, if a brand is going to be good, it's going to tell you just as much who you're, who you're not for as who you're for. So, so what has that led you to, to do if you're making a pitch, a sales pitch effectively, um, what are some of the, the things that you look out for to sort of say, yep, yeah, you know what, this is, this, this tells me that I'm on the right path with this with this customer um, or prospect versus, oh, nope, these are the things to, to back away. When it comes to wholesale, um, the first thing I look at always is the, um, the physical space. First of all, the physical space tells me everything I need to know about how these people feel about their products and how they feel about their customers and how they feel about the experience. And I can tell um, if we are aligned. So... Star, I'll give Starlight Pharmacy as a really good example. It's a beautiful store. Like people go in there, they expect, to, they expect to get a prescription. They come out afterwards, they spend $650 in things that just like excited them that day. And then they're just like, I'm never going back to Starlight ever again because there's just so many little discoveries and things to find and um, things just to make your experience nicer in the pharmacy. So that is a place that has always worked really, really well. And when it comes to where they position me, where they place me, how they arrange the products, I generally don't have a lot of issues with them. Um, so the, the attention that a retailer places on um, those experiential things themselves mm -hmm. tells me, tells me a lot. It tells yeah, me that that's what for because my customer appreciates that. Yeah. My customer is not looking for a big red sticker with, you know, 30% off. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Fine. I mean, that would be lovely, but that's not their um, primary thing. So when it comes to dealing with customers directly, I can tell by the things that they pay attention to, by the things that they comment on. Um, and then there's a great selection in Trinidad of people who really want to support local products. Um who and then so that when you can tell that when they found mine, that's something that they can support and that they really do love. Um, they have really kind of like hit like the mother load for them mm -hmm. and will always come back. So basically those are the kind of customers I'm looking for, the ones that appreciate the touches. Right. Now you 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 said earlier on that, you know, you're like, hey, I want, I want to, I want to touch all the different parts of of running a business like this and, and you've, you founded a company yeah. and now you do what, well, what part has been the most challenging for you to, um, you know, if not master build your capability in as, as a CEO. I like to create an environment and make you want to buy into it as opposed to come and sell you or pitch you on what the product attributes are. Um, and sometimes that's not the best approach. So I'm not a great salesperson at all. Selling is an issue. It's yeah. terrible because of tangible product. <laughs> so, so I'm curious then, that's probably a good place to then segue because I, one of the things about, you know, leading companies is, is, is building a team, right? Um, you know, tell me a little bit about how you have, you know, uh, 
even while being chief cook and bottle washer. Um, you know, tell me about how you've gone about, you know, adding talent around you that, you know, either complements you, uh, complements your skills or, or adds in areas that you might already be strong. Um, what are the things that you've learned about that? Because that's kind of the foundation of building any, any team and any business ultimately. Right. So one of the places that I invest most when it comes to um, um, team members um, is digital because I cannot afford um, traditional marketing and advertising means. So I have a lot of um, people that I work with um, on a freelance basis to help build out the digital and social media presences for the business. So we have a, we have a content creation team. I have a social media manager. I have a content, um, a content manager, and we all work together to try and create as much content as we can. Um, then, um, I have my, my intern squad who unfortunately Right now, nobody's doing much of anything because one of them sits in the store, basically directing, I'm interacting with customers every few days. Not that I have had to send home in that official sense, but we haven't been working. Right. Um, And then I have an admin intern who I've also asked, you know, just in terms of social distance and everybody's at home, working from home. So um, that's basically the extent of my team. Um. On top of that, my dad has, you know, banking and finance background. So he helps me with the, the money, um, the money management part of it. But right. yeah, otherwise, otherwise it's still very, very small. Um, and in terms of permanent employees, it's just the one. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you know, bringing these different folks together to, to create content and, um, mm-hmm. you know, content and storytelling is a really powerful way to, to build brand, you know, brand affinity and, and, and loyalty and so on. Um, what are, what are some of the types of content that you create and how has that helped you grow your customer base? So one of my favorite types of content are the kind of, um, the story type content where things expire. So you kind of have to keep checking in to see what this brand is, is presenting to you. Um, and I like talking to people directly on stories, um, and like doing tutorial type with trying to tell them how to use the products, but also, um, marrying that with my own personal social media platform and talking to people about not just my own products, but products I like. So my goal is really to try and establish myself as an expert in the beauty space period. So that if people come to me through my personal platform, they'll be like, Oh, this person knows what they're talking about and they have their own line. Let me check it out. Or if people come through the Immortal platform, it could be like, oh, I really love these products. This is really interesting. Oh, and then there's this person who seems to know a lot about beauty behind it too. So let me follow her. So I try to create um, two different types of content, personal and brand content that kind of feed off of each other. And I'm supposed to be doing more blogging and I'm supposed to be getting into YouTube videos. And that's really what I'm supposed to be doing in this downtime. But um, I haven't gotten into that yet, but that's my next step. So did you just sort of happen upon that angle of, hey, you know, I'm going to create helpful content. And that's what, because I mean, what you just described, ironically, is like some of the basic principles of inbound marketing. Like, you know, instead of trying to sell somebody, just try to help them first. So did you, was it that you sort of studied that and, um, and, and went there? Or did you just sort of 
happen upon that almost instinctively? I think it's more instinctive because it's what I gravitate towards the most. Um, obviously, beauty, the beauty industry is one of the areas that influ- influencer marketing has been most successful, um, particularly in like 2017 and 2018. People were just spending billions of dollars because, you know, beauty YouTubers and beauty Instagrammers just told them to. So, you know, one of the interviews that we did was with, uh, with a woman named Sophia Stone, who's actually, you know, been doing quite well with exporting her brand of uh, Caribbean teas. And so, as you mentioned, wanting to expand regionally, um, what have been some of the things that you've been doing to kind of penetrate the regional markets more? So that was actually one of the goals that we had for 2020 that have been waylaid a little bit. Um, I really wanted, because I, as I said, how places look and the feel of, of physical locations are really important to me. Um, my market research really needs to be, really needs to include travel and going into spaces to see um, if they are a good fit. So we had hoped to start doing some of that travel this year. And unfortunately, um, COVID-19 had other plans for us. Right. So that was going to be my initial thing to kind of create a list of people that I wanted to pitch based on basically what we were talking about earlier, them having aligned um, aligned types of customers, as I do. In the meantime, it's really just through the website. Um, and again, through social media, connecting people through to that website. So as we talk a little bit about COVID-19, you know, I think one, if there's, if there's one thing that, um, if there's one word, I guess, that, you know, kind of comes along with that for businesses is, is adaptation, right? Um, and that's something that every business has to do generally, but in a lot of ways, it's been forced upon us all. And in some industries, it's, it's much harder um, than it is in others. Can you give me some examples of things that you've, you know, had to do differently or you're starting to think about doing differently from your normal way of operating um, to, to try to adapt to this environment and, and still kind of keep connected with your customers and, and, and keep your business going? So, um, honestly, I'm still trying to figure it out because everything changes so quickly. Um, you know, last week you could run your store this week. You can't, you know? Um, so <clears throat> I'm still really in the process of trying to work out how I'm going to adapt. Cause then also the difficulty is you're trying to forecast how this, how the landscape is going to look when this is all over. A, you don't know when this is all going to be over and B, you have no idea how many changes are going to be permanent and how many changes that we don't, can't even foresee yet will have taken place. Mm-hmm. So it's um, very difficult. And so I'm just really taking it day by day. Like today I was, I was like, tr- thought I had like, you know, figured it out. I was like, oh, I can still do all of my, I can get, instead of dropping my packages to DHL, I can get DHL to do pickups at my, at my location and then um, ship that out. So all I need to do is drop off my TT post packages to the post office and get my DHL pickups. Then to find out that TT Post, post uh, the post office is not open for the next two weeks. Right. So I have to figure out if, um, how I can get packages to their courier, even though the post office is not open. So, you know, even like a plan that you had at the beginning of the day, by the end of the day, it's a different plan. Absolutely. Adaptation is happening in real time. Every single day, what do I, how do I maneuver around this new thing that has come up? 
Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier on kind of thinking about more time in terms of, you know, content or other parts of the business that you might have been, been focused on. So, so is that a, is that a place where you, where you think, okay, I'm going to try to, to double down in some of those areas, even while I, even while I work through operations? Yes. So definitely. But I'm also trying to take the approach that, um, you know, in my list of personal priorities, my mental health and is, is, utmost priority to me. And I tend to be very anxious. My friends call me nervous Nancy. I tend to be very anxious. So I am being very um, careful not to overextend myself and not to stress myself out trying to get to like some ridiculous, like ridiculous level of productivity right now. Um, So I am taking my time so that I don't kill myself out. Um, Which is true because hey, if, if, if there's one thing, I mean, it's, it's not like, um, you know, leading a business is, is, is not stressful, even in the best of times. So, you know, far less now, how do you, uh, find the time to, you know, and this is not almost, this is not a, a COVID-19 question only, but how do you find time to, you know, try to take the occasional breath, um, you know, and, and keep that mental space, uh, optimized? Oh, I make the time. <laughs> Because I have seen, I have seen too many times how easily I get overwhelmed and how I can stress myself out. And so it's just always at the forefront of my mind that I need to take a break, that I need to relax. And most of the time when I try to stress myself out to figure out a problem, most of the time, if I go and take a nap or if I go to sleep and wake up the next day, it is much easier to work through. Um, and then mostly, um, to give myself compassion for not necessarily getting everything on your to-do list done every single day or um that everything needs to be figured out all at one time that it's okay to not especially during this time absolutely um now you know as we start to kind of wrap here a little bit i want to kind of come back to to one of the things we discussed before because um you know there's real-time adaptation there were, you know, goals for this year, same thing for, you know, our business goals for this year. Okay. You got to go back to the drawing board and, you know, sharpen the pencil and, and change it up. Um, but with that said, you know, I still want to, to, to have you kind of go into the imagination box for a second, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you set out on this business, as you said, you know, there are things you might have thought, oh, this was going to take a short time. I have, I have a bunch of those. I, I, I can't tell you how many things I thought were going to be done in three years. And well, you know, here we are, you know, 12 years later and you're still working through them. Um, but talk a little bit about your dreams, right? Um, for a, for a brand and a business like yours, what do you think is possible? Like that's, that's probably maybe a better tone to take, right? It's not, this is going to happen, but what do you think is possible as a, you know, Caribbean entrepreneur trying to build, you know, the luxury brand space? Where, where do you think that, you know, you could take a business like this or someone can take a business like this? I want to have a space that is not necessarily sales focused, but is experience focused. So some sort of branded spa where people could come spend like a day and have an immortal experience through products um, used during spa treatments, that type of thing. Um, but really just take it. Like I, I want it to be a place that you never really want to, to leave, um, that you kind of have to be forced to leave. Um, and particularly in Trinidad, we don't have spa spaces like that. We have, you know, the day spas, but we don't have those, um, retreats. 
that you find in um, other different uh, islands where tourism is more of a focus. And that was really one of my dreams to have people experience the products in a different way. Um, everything else I would say is super in flux. I would, cause for example, um, e-commerce has always been really big to me. I have always been a great online shopper. I'm very good at it. <laughs> um, but I realized that in the local market, it really hasn't been that big a thing for a bunch of different reasons. Credit card penetration being one of the main ones. And I'm really excited. So whereas the, the website I have wanted to use social media to drive people to the website. So the kind of goal had been kind of indirect, try and build up your following on social media to try and increase your website following. Now that this is all happening, I'm really excited to see that people might be just circumventing the social media aspects altogether. And e-commerce has, is becoming like a necessity. Um, and I'm kind of excited to see how I can capitalize on that, which is probably not one of my goals at the beginning of the year, but now it definitely is. Um, so I would say those two are the kind of short term and long term, but well, long term and short term respectively. Yeah, no, and and it's interesting because um, you know there are new things happening with, as you said, not just e-commerce but in payments. Um, yes. You know, we all, we, of we all of these new innovations are happening. That you exactly. know, it's like what I said before, like you know, but I thought we couldn't do this last year. I thought right. we weren't ready for this. I thought the customer base wasn't ready for all these things, and now it's just like, oh, they're just all here. Yep. Necessity is the mother of, of invention, as they say. And that, that has uh, certainly never been um, truer than right now. Right. When you have to when you have to figure it out, you usually people find a way to people find a way to figure it out. So, you know, for all those people who are you know wanting to build a brand, um, you know, market something, create something. Um, you know, I want to get a little bit of a closing thought from you. Right. Um, and let's build it on on your experience if you could kind of go back again to the start um you know and talk to yourself as you were starting out what have you learned about brand building and marketing um that you that you wish you knew then that you would tell to somebody else who's coming behind you the advice i would give to somebody coming up behind me about brand building and marketing is that you think your product right now is the most important thing and it's not products come and go but brands can last literally forever. If you know how to tweak things, if you are flexible and if you are able to remain consistent while adapting, you have the biggest value in your business is not the money. It's not the product, it's the brand. And if you develop it and you make it strong and you make it consistent, then you have a foundation upon which all of these earthquakes and hurricanes and pandemics can happen and you still have a fighting chance of survival. That was Catherine Noose, founder of Immortal Beauty in Trinidad and Tobago, a company that's creating a new line of luxury cosmetic products built by Caribbean people for Caribbean people and the world beyond. If you'd like to be the first to know when the next episode drops, please subscribe to this podcast via preferred platform. And don't forget, share uptick with a friend. On behalf of Caribbean Ideas and the Snapshot Network, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.